0: Hello, hello, my name is Dr. Rachel Gainsbury, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property, seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life, are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast.
1: Hello, hello, everyone. I am so excited to bring another resource to the Short-Term Dims family. We have the amazing Tom Williams here with us from AirDNA, he is a learning specialist and you guys know how I am all about the numbers, all about decision making that is absolutely data driven. And so what I love about the program that Tom is putting together with AirDNA is that he is helping us to understand more and more about the trends in the short-term rental industry And this is key so that we can grow our businesses and make sure that it's profitable. So we always start with the numbers. Uh, Tom is responsible for creating, managing, and developing the AirDNA Academy. Tap in, there are going to be some amazing offerings coming down the pike. Super excited about that. And so we will have more and more resources to continue to leverage and grow our portfolios in a way that is in alignment with our goals. So, Tom, welcome, welcome to the show today.
2: Hi, Rachel. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Tom, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you became Airbnb's learning specialist.
2: Sure. We'll do. Yeah, I was always interested in shorter rentals. As you're obviously aware, it's a pretty fascinating industry, ever changing, ever growing, ever evolving. Um, And yeah, I wanted to kind of learn a bit more about it. And when I started here at ADNA, I started in the customer success team, which was a great way to, first of all, learn about the business, what AirDNA what does, it's short-term rental data, but also learn about short-term rental hosts and as well as investors, their kind of pain points, what works, what doesn't work, what they're trying to what they're trying to achieve. And I saw a need for I guess stronger resources from us. And I I guess the short-term rental industry as a whole, and it's not, there wasn't at the time anyway, there wasn't a whole host of resources available for people to learn and grow their business and understand the industry. And I think part of the issue with a lot of short-term rental data providers, especially is they get lost in the weeds and they get quite technical quite quickly and they use a lot of technical terms and not everyone is going to understand what they mean straight off the bat. I really wanted to bring it back down to a more understandable level and make it more or easier for people to understand and and how to extract the data and really apply it to their short-term rental journey, wherever they may be. So that's when I came up with the idea of the ADNA Academy, which is... I think we're going to discuss this later, but maybe I'll just touch on it. <laughs> no. yeah, uh, this so the ADA Academy is, a, I guess, a three three pronged fork, if you like. So the first prong is the help center. So that's an ADNA help center. Explains what ADNA is, what we do, how to use the tools, how, what certain metrics mean, how to apply um, whatever you learn in that help center to your business. So that was really just to help or grow everyone's knowledge on on the industry. The second Wrong of the fork, I guess, is the ADNA community. So, that is an online community that we've recently launched that is basically just a space for short term rental, anyone in the short term rental industry, and not just people already in the industry, but people who are looking to get in a bit nervous, but want to dip their toe in a bit before they take the plunge. And it's just a space for people to share ideas, learn from one another. I did this works. I tried this didn't work. It's all about using a collective knowledge to give those outputs that are helpful to to whoever, whoever needs them. And then the final section is the, the academy itself, so the educational side of it. So this hasn't launched just yet. We're lucky to bring that to fruition at the end of the year. And that will um include courses on adna products how to use them how to again how to apply them to your business and that'll be available for everyone again you don't have to be an Adna subscriber you probably will have to have an account but a free account is fine and again you can learn how to use products you can learn more about the SDR industry as a whole and yeah it's just we're basically just trying to build a very strong resource center for everyone again, not just day you know, users, to, to really learn about the SDR industry and us as a whole.
1: I love it. So what I'm hearing from you is that from your experience as client success, you're able to identify some, I wouldn't call it gaps necessarily, but some opportunities rather to really help clients move that needle forward with their ability to leverage the tool. Could you talk to us a little bit about some of those challenges that you've seen? Because I get to hear it day in and day out. And when you mentioned other data providers, (laughs) we just were having this conversation last night where this uh, data tool has one set of numbers, the next data tool has another set, and then the third data tool has another set. And so it's been a a task of mine for the members of my community, a mapping, right? And a mapping, and I forget how you call it. I came from the SaaS world as well, with pharmacy got to sell SaaS products and build systems. But the the cross, what's it called? The cross something where you go from one thing and then it goes to the other. So to just give an idea of, okay, these numbers, they reflect probably a metric minus, a key indicator like cleaning beans or or something to to that effect. So, yeah. could you talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges that you felt were very important to to highlight and to create an academy around support there?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think um, one of the first things I noticed was uh, just you kind of mentioned it there, like lack of clarity on on what a lot of these metrics mean and and what's included in them. RevPar, for example. ADR, like these are obviously terms that are, you know, kind of part and parcel with the industry, but if you're new to it, you don't know what they mean <laughs> and, and what's included in that. So I think it's incredibly important to just strip those back to basics, as I mentioned earlier, and really explain what they are, what's, what makes them up, the sort of the calculations behind them and, and how we arrive at those figures to give that transparency as well. You mentioned that there's so many different data providers that it is super important to us. That we are transparent with how we come to the data we output, the data that we output, and the kind of calculations in between us getting the data and giving giving accurate depictions of, of property performance, for example. So that's that was another thing that I wanted to make clear. That transparency is key for us building that trust between our customers and making it clear that not giving everything away because we have to have some secrets in terms of how we actually if we format the data, etc. But Trying to be as transparent as possible and making it clear that what we do is for our customers. We want to make it um, as fair and as as accessible as possible. Um, In a more uh, specific or or niche way of looking at it, some of the other problems that people were coming up against was how, if they were looking to invest, for example, at at the very beginning of their journey how to go from the rentalizer tool that we have in ADNA, where you can obviously input an address and we can give you an idea of what that property generates as a short-term rental, how to use the figures that that, that uh, are output from there and then compare it against what's been done historically in the market, really double down and, and really get a stronger idea of what's possible with that property. So again, it's just, it should mean it clear that there's a lot of different ways of, of utilizing data, a lot of different ways of utilizing tools and not just DNA, but I think it's just important to, to make it clear that we're here to, to not only provide this insight, but to explain what this insight is and, and really how to use, utilize it going forward.
1: I love that, Tom, and and I just finally thought of the word that I was looking for, a crosswalk, so to speak. So let Mm -hmm. me ask you this, because I know the audience is going to want to know, what would you say are some of the perhaps key insights or key um, differences between AirDNA and some of the other tools that are out there? Just off the top of your head, what are two or three things that perhaps you notice that's a difference in terms of why the numbers are so wildly wildly different because i think that'll help provide some context for our audience
2: absolutely yeah I can only speak for us obviously but what i know about us is we have okay we have very accurate numbers uh, i'm not going to say against other people because again i don't know but what we know what we have and we what we have is is incredibly accurate um, usually comes out around 98% when we compare against Airbnb figures. Um, There are many reasons for that. One of the largest ones is the the, the amount of time we've been doing this. So we've been been collecting data on short-term rentals since 2014, so nearly 10 years. Having that amount of data and the way calendars were set up on Airbnb at that point in terms of how they would display a property as booked, blocked, or available, whereas now it's just obviously available or unavailable, We can apply the same logic to when we're looking at calendars now, so we can still work out whether it was booked or blocked by the host. So those are just two of the things that separate us and give us that sort of accuracy. The other is the amount of stress tests we put our data through before we put it out, how we're constantly improving it and adding new algorithms. Our, Our data science team has grown massively over the last six months alone, because we're really focusing on that. We really want to have the best data out there. We believe that we already do, but we really want to double down on that and across the board show that we are producing the best numbers. So I think that's one of the main things that that separates us from the rest. And I guess the other is that developments. We are very committed to developing our products and in turn our data as well, or it should be the other way around our data and then our product, because we want to, we think we are the best provider out there uh, and we want to continue to be the best out there so that comes with development that comes with investment that comes with as i say those stress tests and and making sure what we are putting out there is is robust and we back it every month or every we update certain parts of our data every day we do that because we want to give the best turnaround in terms of data as well yeah i think those are the two main things that sort of separate us from our competitors if you like
1: So let's talk a little bit about trends and insights. Any major observations that you've made over the course of the last month on the short-term rental landscape that you'd like to share with us?
2: Yeah. One thing to call out is supply. Um, that's been on top of mind for a lot of people for a while. There's been this increase in number of short-term rentals are coming onto the market off the back of what, 2021 being such a strong stellar year in terms of the, the the performance that we saw. And 2022 was also very good. So more and more people bought in, more and more people got short-term rentals and the more supply comes more competition and less bookings, lower occupancy potentially. So whilst it is true... There has been an increase in the number of shorts and rentals. It is slowing like the the growth. So we're not seeing as rapid growth in terms of the number of new rentals coming onto the market. That is slowing, which in turn is having a positive effect on the occupancy. Like The demand is still super high. People still want to book. We're seeing stronger demand this year already compared to what we saw in 2019 and not quite 2021, but 2019 for sure. So... With that slowing growth and that increased demand, the occupancy, whilst people will still be seeing lower occupancy than they were seeing maybe at this time last year and and almost definitely for 2021, it is going to slowly improve over time. And the important thing to bear in mind is that whilst, yes, supply is still growing, as I said, slowly, um, ADRs are also growing. So whilst you may be getting less bookings than you were seeing previously, you can charge a higher, generally, you can charge a higher daily rate than you were at this point last year. So that's what we've seen so far this year. And then looking forward to, to sort of the end of the year and, and into start of 2024. One interesting thing, two interesting things we've seen is this is talking about US as, as a whole now. So obviously, it's going to be market specific for a lot of people. But in terms of types of bookings, so seasonal bookings, obviously the summer. Is always the most popular time of year we are seeing a flattening in kind of that booking curve so usually you'd have your winter months coming up to the spring start, you start ramping up in terms of the number of bookings summer would happen it a drop off whereas now it's, we're seeing more, more more and more bookings being made consistently throughout the year whereas rather than just that big lump during the summer which is quite interesting to see and the other thing is Shorter lead time, so people aren't booking as far advanced as they were last year. so from from twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three, we're seeing an average of 10 percent difference on those lead times. If your market was, people would generally book uh, a month out, maybe they're, maybe it's more like three three weeks you're seeing bookings come in. It. So just something to bear in mind, possibly if you are if if you had a date booked. For last year, that you haven't got booked for this year, it may be a case that the bookings are going to come in later. So that's, yeah, just a couple of interesting observations we've seen so far this year.
1: Awesome. That's really interesting about the flattening. Do we, is the understanding then that there are more bookings year-round or less bookings during the summer, the the previous
2: Yeah, so it's more that more bookings are being made year-round rather than just that, what's the word, condensed period just in the summer where a massive bookings are made. They're still going to be, summer's still going to be the most popular time, but we're seeing it bulge out across the year rather than just that big spike in the summer, if you like.
1: Interesting. Any insights regarding length of stay? Any updates around that?
2: Not too much. You haven't really seen too much change in that. Typically, it's Usually, those three-day stays during the weekend are still the most popular. But um, yeah, not too much change in length of stay we in the West.
1: Awesome, interesting, and I know that we're primarily talking about uh, the U.S., but I do have some inquiries uh, for whether or not there are opportunities overseas. So I know I'm in the state of Georgia, but you're dialing in, zooming in all the way from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So, you're part of that global market. What are some areas that you have seen growing popularity for short term rentals and leveraging Airbnb, Airbnb, Virgo?
2: Yeah, Europe is Europe's an interesting one because obviously each country has different, different markets, obviously, but different approaches to, to short term rentals. And a lot of Western European countries, especially, are introducing more strict regulation. So in terms of like recovery from 2020 and the pandemic, as with the US, 2021 and 22 were great years in Europe as a whole. But with, when the pandemic hit, supply would drop massively. And in Europe, especially in places like Spain, Italy, and France, the supply hasn't recovered to those pre-pandemic levels as of yet. However, the demand is higher than 2019. Whilst we've got huge demand, there's not enough supply to meet it. Which means that hosts in those nations are able to charge higher rates because people still want to come regardless, um, and it's harder and harder for new for new investors or, or people who want to host in those countries to get properties because of those regulations, making it harder to buy and, and get licenses for for short- term rentals. So what the kind of knock-on effect of that in Europe as a whole is Scandinavian and Northern European countries so like Norway, Sweden, Denmark. Uh, Finland as well. Their supply dropped as well, like everyone in 2020. Their demand also dropped during that time, but it hasn't recovered. Whereas in those Western European countries, the demand has has, has shot right up. The demand in in those northern places hasn't quite recovered yet. And the knock-on effect of that is there's a huge amount of supply, but there's no demand. So the hosts there are dropping their prices to try and encourage more more guests to go that way. And it is working. They are more, more and more bookings are coming in. The final kind of point is then Eastern European countries. So again, they were similar. that they, they had, they didn't have much demand or supply. <laughs> there's neither a the cover to it. So there's pretty bad figures. So a lot of people have seen that as an opportunity and they're opening, opening listings out there. Charging lower rates than we've seen in those Western European nations, but higher rates than in those Scandinavian nations. And they're generally uh, cheaper to travel to, especially if you're already in Europe to get to to places like Poland, Romania, Bulgaria. So those those three in particular, they seem like quite hot markets currently, just based on the kind of demand we're seeing, the price they're charging, and the, the sort of low supply that's available. So it's interesting. What happens in, in one area has knock-on effects across the rest of the continent. So yeah, it's quite, it's quite an interesting one to watch and see, so we'll see how that unfolds going forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I just made a trip to Mexico and I'm coming back from Cabo. And I know that Tulum and Cabo, there continues to appear to be development for STR, short-term rentals, Airbnb. Any insights for us in terms of the Caribbean, how investing in those markets are looking
2: I haven't done a sort of deep dive into the Caribbean or, or sort of Mexico for a while, but last sort of report that I looked into, yeah, it's, Mexico is always appealing. Obviously, you know, demand is super high. It's similar to, to those like places like Spain and France where, you know, the supply hasn't again hit the, the, 2019 figures, but the demand is still quite high. So hostess or to charge slightly higher rates because of that. But conversely, to those European nations, the regulation in those areas, in in Mexico especially, isn't as strict, so it's a lot easier for new hosts to get properties out there. Yeah, similar in that sense. So it's it also looks like quite appealing from uh, from an outside perspective.
1: Yeah, I love it. We we had a really good time there, and I was scoping out <laughs> the inventory for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So I have a question for you. For new investors, what would you say, Tom, are some of the most common pitfalls that you have seen that new investors make in terms of selecting a market?
2: Yeah. I work for a data company, so I guess you can probably guess what this answer is going to be, but not enough research and uh, not enough insight. I appreciate there's only so much research you can do, and if you look at something too long, you're, you're probably going to sort yourself out of it, but... Um, <laughs> I do um, stand by the idea of researching thoroughly and and getting an idea of the market, especially if it's one that you're not familiar with. If you looking at if you live in Georgia and you're looking at investing in California, for example, it's a pretty big distance. So just from what you can do at your desk, um, just doing as much research as possible, getting an idea of the market, the seasonality, the the, the local events. Those, those are going to be your highest highest earners. So when are they? How much are other people charging during those times? What kind of um, understanding the, the return of investment on investment? If you're looking at buying a property, understanding the return on investment, obviously, but then also understanding what the initial costs are going to be. If there are any regulations in the market that you aren't aware of, it's always a good idea to contact the local government or even... I always advocate reaching out to the hosts in the area and finding out their experience. They may not be too happy that there may be a new competitor coming in, but I think you'll find that most people are quite receptive and quite open and and are willing to help. Reach out to those guys, find out their experience. If it is a heavily regulated market, speak to them and, and find out how that's affected them. If- Regulations are are, are tricky, depending on what they are, like if they're length of stay, number of days, you can be open to rent. But a lot of people can manage their way around it and still run a profitable business. So I wouldn't, if you do find heavy regulation, I wouldn't necessarily run away. I would reach out to to those people who are currently operating it and see how they deal with it and find out whether it is viable or not. But I think, yeah, just understanding markets what kind of property you're investing in where, where it is in the market and what amenities you want to have in the property and whether they make sense for, for where you're investing i always thought if you had a beachside if you're a beachside market sorry having a swim pool would be detrimental and just cost too much for it but the data kind of shows a lot of the time that property with pools still make more money if they're beachside i think it's just important to, to understand Understand your market, understand the type of guests you're marketing to for that market, and really build the listing around those things to make sure that you're not setting yourself up for failure.
1: I love that. And you hit the nail on the head because one thing that I did want to circle back on is the regulations. So as far as regulations, how can AirDNA, the tool, help us with that? I do see that there's on the overview tab, some grading around regulations.
2: Yeah. So that so yeah, the Rachel's referring to the regulation score in the overall market score. And on that dial, a high number indicates low regulation in the market. Just a bit on that score and how we calculate it. So it's not, we don't calculate it by contacting each government or whoever so is in charge of short-term rentals in that area. We calculate it by looking at trends within the data. So things like length of stay or average length of stay, market growth in terms of the number of listings, a pretty key indicator of regulation is, is low market growth. So that's just one of the things that sort of feeds that algorithm. So it's a number of factors that go into it. But as I say, it's not us directly contacting those governments. So I would always take that score as a guide, not a, not as gospel. As I said, I do always recommend reaching out and finding out specifically what those regulations are so you don't uh, get a bite in the tail further down the line. But yeah, it's, as I say, regulation is a scary word. I think it's getting even scarier. (laughs) Um, But I think there are ways to operate around them for sure.
1: I love that. Yeah. And it's ever evolving too, right? So staying up to date, whether or not something was published two weeks ago, about regulations, it's when you're ready to invest, you wanna get the latest and greatest and call the government, the county clerk's office is what I recommend uh, for that particular municipality or that city to to find out the latest and greatest. And an Mm -hmm. additional question that I always recommend also ask what is in draft? Because just because it's not published yet, there may be something in draft. So getting an idea of the sentiment around that, I think Mm -hmm. is important. And personally, I like regulations. I know it's controversial, but I like regulations. I feel as though, especially if it's fair regulations, I don't like unfair regulations. But it gives you uh, a little bit more of a solid strategy of where, you know, you can plant your business and where not to if it's clear and cut versus looking over your shoulder wondering, okay, when are they going to? Not if, but when are they going to implement some type of regulation? So I'm okay with regulations. I just want it to be fair. And, um,
2: yeah. right. No, I think that's a great point in terms of like, it gives you kind of parameters to operate in within. It gives you exactly where you, where you can be and where you can't be. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, it levels the playing field as well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Regulations on the whole, as, as you say, and when they're fair, are a good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about scaling and growth, speaking of which, because I get the question asked um, every month or so, should I purchase one property in this market and one in another and one in a third, or should I create a portfolio in one market? Economies of scale, you have operations. What are your thoughts about that, uh, Tom? Because I know you're looking at data from the 10,000 foot view, I'm a little bit mixed on that because I feel as though if during the summer there's a massive hurricane or a storm in Florida, then your winter properties are okay. But at the yeah. same time, less is more. And I believe in economies of scale, having a it's not easy to build a, a really solid operations team. So if I have that in one place to style, then I think that there's value in and having those systems placed there. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I agree. It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because like you say, if, if if you're localized in one area, then it's super easy to manage. And especially if you're in that area as well, you've got an eye on everything that's going on. You can keep on top of schedules and and, and all this kind of thing. But like you say, if you're opening yourself up to, to a lull in, in in bookings, and that's going to be market-wide, not just property-specific, so that could ruin your entire year potentially. Whereas on the other hand, if you kind of spread yourself across different locations, You've got those safety nets in terms of bookings coming in consistently across the year, but that's a lot harder to manage, especially like remote. You've got to consider cleaning, key exchanges. I know a lot of these things can be autom- uh, automated. It depends what kind of host you want to be. whether you want to be give that personal touch, or if you want to use property management company. And then if you go down that route, you could have multiple property managers for multiple properties in different locations. So it's, it all can beca- it can become quite complicated quite quickly. I think it's definitely a personal choice. I would always just bring it down to what makes sense financially and lifestyle wise. If you're going to be doing this whilst still, if you're still working like a nine to five job on top of this, it's going to be pretty hard to manage different properties in different locations. Whereas if if they're all localized in one area, that's going to be a bit easier to, to deal with. Yeah. It's a tough one to answer, I think because it's very personal and it's also, it's quite financially dependent as well. It's, I would always just come back to the data room and what makes sense to you and your budget and what you what you want to achieve from your business. Like, what do you want it to be? Do you want it to just be operating at one location or do you want it to be that kind of multi-state, multi-country empire, I guess? <laughs> so I think that there's just considerations that you need to factor in for both sides of it. Like the additional costs of having all those, those people on the ground for those different properties, if they are in a different area, against the personal cost of you dealing with it yourself if they're all in one, one area. And then, yeah, as we said earlier, it, what effect that has on bookings, or sorry, what effect that has on revenue if there's a, if there's a low season in, in, in one. If you have properties across the board, then it's a lot easier for that to pick up the slack. Yeah, I would just, again, go back to the data, I suppose. If you're looking at expanding Look at, we have a lot of res- res- resources on our website of what place, good places to invest, hottest markets, this kind of thing. Take a look at those. And then if any does pique an interest, look into them a bit further, get an idea of house home values in the area, what kind of mortgage you'd be looking at. And again, as we were talking about earlier, regulation and all this kind of stuff, there's a hundred different things to consider. I think you just need to work out which ones mean the most to you and let that guide your decision
1: I love that. I love that. And that's been the tug of war with me as well. So thank you for sharing your insights there. I did pick up a few nuggets in that response. So let me ask you this, Tom, when you think about your super users of Airbnb, how else are they using the platform other than identifying a market and selecting that market? What else are they leveraging uh, within
2: the platform? Mm, so a lot of hosts use it for pricing and Adjusting rates incrementally, so even just like dollar changes by day. As I said earlier, a lot of people are seeing decreasing occupancies and to address that, a lot of people, the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, I need to drop my rate by $10 a night, which probably will see more bookings come in, but obviously you're going to be making less money overall. Um, What we've been suggesting and and what a lot of people have been doing is just reducing those rates by maybe, like I say, by just a dollar a night. Um, and even that that small change has still brought in not as many bookings, maybe, but enough bookings that you're only losing a dollar a night, but you're still getting more bookings coming in than you were, than you were previously. And there's great tools to help you do this in AirDNA. So you've got five years of historical data you look at you can look at in terms of average daily rates. You can see how it's changed over time. And as I said, sort of 2021 and 2022 were, were standout years. So look at 20. 2019. I almost said 2020. uh, Look at 2019, what people were charging then. Maybe you need to drop the rates similar to that. And maybe that is just a dollar change. And then you've also got the pacing tools. So the future demand analysis. So you can see over the next six months, what everyone else in your market is charging. And you can filter these to make them as relevant to your property as possible. And based on that, On the average, whatever that may be, maybe you look at the average and then you drop your price a dollar below that. And then you're going to instantly become more appealing than than the majority of the properties on that market. That's been a really helpful one for a lot of hosts, especially over the last 2023 as a whole. People should try and really bring those people back in, reduce those rates. And the other one is top properties. This is a, a sort of, I guess, an obvious tool. And I think one that's overlooked because of that, but... Again, you can filter them to make them as relevant as possible. And if you're a small market, if you filter to your property type, you can see the top performers in your category and what they're doing that's making them stand out and what's making those top performers, whether it's professional photos or the sort of layout of the property or if it's an amenity that they have that's across the board, they all have it and yours doesn't. Maybe that's something you need to consider to try and make your property more appealing. Yeah, those two, those are kind of the rate changes and... Sort of, I guess refining your listing based on those top performers have been really helpful, we found, to, to host, especially when it's been a uh, struggle for a lot of people to, to, to see more companies coming in.
1: I love it. And I feel as though the tool is definitely a treasure trove of information. Oftentimes when I see other hosts or operators are leveraging the tool, they s- just stick to the overview tab. But there's so much more yeah. in terms sure. of the research tab as well as the future segments there and mm-hmm. i think it's important to review that one of the tools that i like to use and i love the enhancement of being able to download into a csv or, or an excel spreadsheet I'm, I'm so much of an excel girl you know the <laughs> potential for saturation or changes year over year and so i absolutely love it i hear saturation all the time but is it truly saturation or is it demand and so exactly leveraging that tool, I've been able to get a better picture uh, of what's going on in market.
2: Yeah. As we said at the top of the call, it's the SDR industry is super interesting because it's ever evolving and ever changing. It was never going to stay on that upward trajectory where everyone was just making tons of money every month. <laughs> it was always going to be a, a, a period of flux where you had to adjust and that, that's kind of come. And it's, it hasn't been as dramatic as a lot of people were expecting. And there are still ways of engineering your listing to make it as appealing as possible. And I think that's just what a lot of people are doing now. Yeah, it's just, I think we're just in a period where it's not as easy as it was, but it's still a great industry to be in. And it's a great way of making money. And there's still huge opportunities to do that. I think you just have to get a bit more detail with how you approach it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, Tom. Based on everything we've discussed, we've gone over the global markets, the U.S. market supply, demand, the growing in supply of, as well as the growing daily rates, which is really exciting. And your insights have really painted a vivid picture uh, for me, and I'm sure the audience as well of what opportunities uh, lie ahead and the potential still for short-term rentals and the re-engineering. I I like the way you said that the re-engineering, reimagining our listings based on what others who are performing at a higher level are able to generate. And I think that's important. And I think having insight into that is key, right? The information is out there. So final question for you, Tom, Um, what would you say is um, one important guiding principle uh, that you would like to leave to our investors, whether they're new or whether they're experienced as they navigate this ever evolving landscape, what would you say would be a piece of advice or a guiding principle that they should keep in mind?
2: Yeah. Again, may not be surprising, but just do your research, but don't over research. Maybe I guess is a sort of caveat on that. You have all the tools at your disposal, but we've mentioned a few times that this is never changing in an ever, ever evolving industry. So you need to, pull the trigger at some point and 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 jump in and yeah i think just do your research make sure you're in a comfortable obviously don't do anything that you're not comfortable with (laughs) make sure you feel happy with your decision you feel like it's in the right place but don't let an opportunity slip by either you've got to when something comes up and you're in the position to to take advantage of it you need to do it and and it can be a risk. It's one worth taking. And with the tools at your disposal, sorry, you can make it a success with those tools. And yeah, as I say, if you have the research to back it up, then yeah, you're onto a winner from the start, I think.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. I was just on a call last night, just a quick sidetrack where one of the members stated they waited about a year and a half. They've been wanting to invest and they kept waiting and waiting for things to change, numbers to change, and they regret not having started sooner. Yeah. And so to our listeners out there, I would encourage you to remember that the world of real estate is filled with opportunities, but having the data at your fingertips, having the tools like AirDNA can be your absolute compass. So whether you're new looking for your, your first investment or your season looking for your next investment, never forget data is key know your numbers run your numbers and it does take courage to take that first step and to get out of analysis paralysis i think one of the biggest strategies that small business owners have that will separate them from everyone else is the ability to make decisions and so having data really informs you in such a way that you can make confident decisions to the best of your ability. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, as a reminder, many of you know that we have partnered with AirDNA and we have an amazing community inside of Short-Term Gyms as well, our AirDNA Mastery community. If you go to shortterngems.com AirDNA, you can get access to that. And so I look forward to supporting you along your investment journey. And yeah, let's get ready to build, my friends. Bye-bye for now.
2: Bye, everyone.